Well, good morning, church. Good to see all of you. I want to welcome again those that are with us online as well as those who maybe are here for the first time. Uh, Maybe you got some friends or family that are getting baptized and you're just here as a guest this morning. Great. Uh, We love that you're here, a part of things this morning. Uh, That partner, uh, Chris and Monica and Life Center, downtown Minneapolis, they're one of our partners through Kingdom Builders that we chose to invest in this past year. Uh, They were renovating a facility, the Life House, uh, which is be able, able to help people who have come out of addiction, but they're not ready maybe financially or whatever to be able to get their own place. And it's a kind of a halfway option for them to be able to step into a place to get the support for a season until they're able to move on. And uh, through Kingdom Builders, we have uh, supported $20,000 already this year that we've given to renovate one of those apartments completely. And so thank you, thank you for your giving faithfully through that. And uh, we hope to continue to partner with Life Center in the years to come and see how, how we can be used. They're right in our back door, a meaningful way way to minister downtown Minneapolis and some of the hardest areas in our city. Uh, But we want to remind you, next week is our Kingdom Offering Sunday. As once a year, we gather and we give above and beyond. We say, how can we invest even more? And next week, uh, we've got Pastor Micah is going to be sharing a powerful, encouraging message you do not want to miss next week. But you're also going to hear stories of ways that we can continue to partner this year. There's a few projects we still hope to accomplish before the year's up, and we hope that you can be a part of that, all right? We'll see you next Sunday for that. But this morning, uh, we are continuing. We're in week nine of a 10-week series called Kingdom Living as we have been walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is his most complete teaching about what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God. He's talking over and over and over about that. And this week and last week are kind of like a two-week mini-series in the entire sermon where we're dealing with the topic of money and possessions, okay? And I, like I said last week, I know what some of you are thinking. Seriously, that's all the church ever talks about. Like, can you quit talking about money? And I can understand that because sometimes it feels like the church talks about money too much. But I said this last week that I think we can make the other mistake is that we don't talk about money or stuff at all. Why do I think that's a mistake? Because other than the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke more about our money and our possessions than anything else. And why did he do that? Just to kind of bug us? No, because he understood something critical, is that our money is attached to our heart. And if he really, his deep desire is our heart. And if he doesn't meddle with our money and our stuff, there's something that is still holding on to us. And so this morning, he's going to challenge us again. He's going to kind of get at us a little. He's going to meddle with us a little bit. But I believe he wants to ultimately do a work in our hearts. And so we're going to look directly at Jesus' words and see what he has to say. And at the end of the message, we're going to lead to a principle, a biblical principle that I believe has the power to literally transform your life. And I've got an illustration at the end that I hope will grab hold of you. All right? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as you're turning there, just a reminder, we're in our New Testament reading plan for the year, and so if you've gotten off course at all, don't worry about it. Jump on back in. You can follow along with the reading plan. Uh, But would you stand with me as we're going to read our text? Matthew chapter 6. If this is your first time, there's nothing sacred about standing. It's what we do to, to reverence God's word and say we care more about what you say than what I have to say, all right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says this. Therefore, I tell you, These are the words of Jesus. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And Father, we thank you for these words spoken 2,000 years ago. They still challenge us. They still speak to us, because I know a lot of us walk in with heavy burdens this morning. Some of us walk in, they're just things on our mind, things that we're stressing out about. And you're, this morning, you say, you got a, you got a better word for us. So God, I pray that we would have open ears and open hearts to listen to you today. I pray that in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. Uh, I mean, no, sometimes there's like little things that we just can be a little afraid of, you know, maybe some of you spiders or, you know, snakes and things like that. So I want you you to take 20 seconds, turn to your neighbor, just tell them something maybe you're a little fearful of, you're afraid of. Turn to your neighbor, tell them something, maybe it's heights, you know, whatever it is. Blood. Blood. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, how many, how many of you are honest? You're afraid of like spiders or snakes or mice or something like that. Some of you are afraid of that, okay? How many of you afraid of, anybody afraid of heights? Just like heights just kind of mess you up a little bit? Somebody, somebody yelled blood in the front row. Anybody struggle with blood? Like, that's me. Like, I, like I pass out if I see blood. That's fine. I, I got my own issues with that. Uh, maybe you're afraid of, you know, I know I got a friend who's like deathly afraid of flying. Like, that's not, like, they don't like flying, you know. Or maybe, maybe the, the dark. Anybody still afraid? I don't want to ask you. You don't have to say that. My 10-year-old's still afraid of the dark. That's fine. Uh, maybe, and this is what I actually was reading. You've probably read this before. One of the greatest fears that people have is public speaking which I don't understand that because I spent my life like speaking publicly, but most people, like that's one of like their top two things. They're freaked out having to get in front of people and talk and I get those kind of things. But there's something that I think most of us at some point in time, we have fear over and that is the unknown, right? The unknown, they're, like they're, you have this fear. In fact, I would say that's what worry is. Worry is fear grounded in the unknown, right? You ever have those moments where you're just like, oh, what's gonna happen? I don't know what's gonna happen. You're up late at night and you can't stop thinking about that thing. It's just like you're running all the possible scenarios of what could possibly be, right? And you're just freaking out. You're overwhelmed and you can kind of get paralyzed in those moments. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to, to confront here. He's gonna challenge us in this area. And so once again, whenever we look at a passage of scripture, we always look at the context of it. We gotta say, what's the context? Because context matters. And we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, living for the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live in his kingdom? But last week, the passage just before this, Jesus is talking about our money and our possessions. You remember he talked about the idea that you don't store up for yourself treasures on earth, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? This stuff doesn't last. This is the stuff that matters. And so he encourages us and he challenges us in this. And at the end of the passage, what does Jesus say? He says, you're going to serve money or God. That's your choice. You can't serve them both. And so you got to choose which one. And the word serve literally means slave. You can't be both a slave of God and a slave of money. You have to choose which one. 
And he challenged us with that. And immediately following that statement, you can't serve God and money, we get to verse number 25 where he says, therefore. Now stop for a second. I always say this. Whenever you see a therefore, you got to ask, ask yourself, what's the therefore? Therefore. Only a few of you remember that. Say it with me. What's the therefore? Good job, because it, uh, whenever you see a therefore, it's always attached to what was just said. So you got to make sure you read what was happening just before that, okay? And so in relation, you can't serve God and money. Therefore, what does he say? I tell you, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Some of us need to just sit there for a second, okay? We need to hear those words, because Jesus is going to meddle with us. Because some of us struggle with this one. And I just want to, I want to have a little caveat here for a moment. And it's this, that there are some in our congregation, I know, and there are some of you that, that struggle with mental health issues. I understand that. There's some of you that, that have got a, had a, uh, anxiety, depression. This is something that you genuinely struggle with. And there's even people that I, that I deeply, deeply care about that struggle with that. And, and there are those of you that need to step in and, and receive professional counseling. There are some of you that need medical intervention because of those kind of things. But I would also say this. I would say that, that there are many of us who don't have mental health issues or chemical issues, and yet we still allow ourselves to get trapped by worry over and over and over again. It's something that can be debilitating at times. And this is the main focus. Jesus has one thing to say to us. He says it four times in this little passage. Do not worry, okay? So we get to the verse. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And we all say, yep, of course it is, Jesus. Obviously, your life is more important than the food. But how many know we get wrapped up in the stuff real quickly? Our life matters. Yeah, our life is more important, but we're so focused on the stuff. And to think, what am I going to wear? What am I going to do? What am I going to eat? What am I going to We get freaked out about all this stuff. And Jesus saying, just stop for a second. What's more important? Like, what's more important in this world? I want, you to, I want you to recenter for a moment. I want you to think differently for a second. So he goes on in verse 26 and says this, look at the birds of the air, change your focus. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? He's reminding them, listen, he takes care of the birds, doesn't he? Get your eyes off yourself for a second. Think about the birds. He takes care of them. They're not freaking out. They're not worrying that he provides for them. And then he asks this very powerful question. Are you not much more valuable than they? And some of you need to hear this today because you think the answer is, I don't know. Am I more valuable? Does God really care about me? You know what scripture says? He sees every sparrow that falls. If he cares about, sorry about it, but if he cares about a dumb bird, he cares about you, okay? He cares about you. And not in some general sense that says, oh, God loves mankind in some general sense. No, God loves you. He cares intimately about you. What you walked in the door with, carrying heavy this morning, feeling burdened by, he cares about you. He intimately desires to be there for you, to walk with you. And he's saying, listen, do you not know that I love you? I care for you. You get to verse 27. It says, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And the obvious answer is no, you can't. 
You cannot add an hour to your life. It is pointless. It is stupid to just sit and worry. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't solve anything. Worry, all it does is produce more anxiety in your life. You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't help anything at all. And yet if it was an Olympic sport, some of you would be gold medalists. You would. You know it. Like, yep, I'm great at worrying. I'm amazing at worrying. I can spend all my time doing that. Like, I do it better than anybody else. That's not a good thing. <laughs> He's saying that's not, that's not the goal. Like you, it's not producing anything in your life. It's actually eroding you. It's tearing you down. It's putting you in a, in a really painful position. You spend day and night worrying about what could be, right? And it eats at you. But Jesus is saying this, worry is pointless, but then he connects it to this whole idea of finances. Because remember, the context of the passage, he's talking about money and possessions right now. This is in response to what he said. And he just gave us the choice. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. And here's the point of what he's saying. Listen, if you choose to serve money, worry is going to be the natural outcome. Why is that? Because there's a lot of unknown when it comes to worry or when it comes to money. Think about it right now. Do you have any idea what the financial state of our country is going to be like a few months from now? I have no idea. It's going to get better. Could it get worse? We have no idea. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. You have no idea. And if, you, if your hope and your foundation is in your money and in your stuff, you're going to be in serious trouble because you've got no other option but to sit and worry about it. Because you don't know, fear of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. I sit and stress out about all that stuff. But if you will put your faith and your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ, he says, listen, I will give you peace. I will give you joy in the midst of whatever it is you end up facing. No matter what it is. No matter what you walk through. Do I know what it's going to be like? I don't know what it's going to be like. But if my foundation is in, is in Christ, I can have hope. I can have faith in the moment. And that's what Jesus' desire is for us. Why do we do that? Why can we have faith? Because Christ is reliable. He is trustworthy. We say it all the time. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can trust in him. We can trust in who he is. And even more than that, we know he cares for us. Oh, he's reliable. But we can also trust that he sees us and he knows us intimately and he cares about us. That's what Jesus is trying to point us to. And so we go on in the passage, verse number 28. What does it say? It says, and why do we worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow will be thrown in the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? See, Jesus is saying this. You may not have confidence in the world, but you can have confidence in the character of God. Who is he? Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's who he is. You may not have confidence in your circumstance, but you can have confidence in the character of God. He doesn't 
change. Worry comes when we look and we fixate on our problems, on the things that are temporary, on the concerns that have no control over anything. But faith comes when we look to God, when we get our eyes off of our circumstance, when we no longer fixate and place our hope in those things, but instead we find our peace and our hope in him. That's the call. I don't have to worry because I know who my God is. He is my source in every circumstance. And I may not see it in the moment. I might not know in the moment, but my trust is in the unchanging character of who God is. That's my foundation to life. That's what he's inviting us to experience, a different way of living. So we get to verse 31. What's it say? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, Jesus, again, he's meddling here a little bit with us, because who are the pagans? In his time, the pagans were Gentiles. They were non-believers. In our understanding, it would be the difference between those who call themselves followers of Jesus, kingdom people, and everybody else. That would be the word. He's saying everybody else goes and worries about all that stuff. And I think you all understand that, don't you? That's the way of the world. I'm worried about what am I going to eat? What am I going to do? That's the normal way of doing things. And he's saying that's great for them to live that way. But guess what? We're kingdom people and we live differently. We don't sit and freak out and worry about all that stuff. No, no, no. We trust God. We put our hope in him. We lean in him. We do things different. And that's challenge, right? Because how many know we still, we still need clothes, <laughs> Like, I appreciate that you all buy clothes and wear them when you come to services here on Sundays. In fact, I'd like to make a rule around here that you have to do that, okay? Thank you, all right? So, so like, like, you have to buy clothes. Like, you have to buy food. So, like, so I think the question and, like, a challenge that we have when we read this text is, like, okay, well, where's, where's the line in this thing? Like, like where's the line? At what, what point is, like, okay, I'm, I'm buying the things that I need and providing what I need versus, like, I've gone too far in, in, in that? And, and I think... What it comes down to is this idea of a better question being, what has our attention? What has our attention? Just think about it in your own life. What, what do you fixate on? Do you fixate on stuff you don't yet have? Temporary stuff you don't yet have. You find yourself just, I spend endless hours scrolling online or on my phone or on a computer looking at stuff I don't yet have. That becomes an attention, that thing that, thing that we fixate on. And I would say maybe, maybe Jesus would say, hey, you're focusing in on the wrong place. Maybe your attention is in the wrong place. If all you're doing is focusing here, he's saying that's a bad investment. He already said that last week. That's a bad investment. It's not only a bad investment of your time, but it's, it's taking your heart in the wrong direction to things that are temporary and aren't going to last at all. And he's saying, listen, where is your focus and what do you care about? What are you passionate about? about. And then we get to verse 33. I'm going to put this one up on the screen for us. He says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What is his kingdom? His rule and reign. Remember, that's what kingdom means. Seek the rule and reign of Christ in your world, in your life. Seek his reign in all things, his his way of doing things, his righteousness. Seek his way of doing things in everything. And all these things will be given to you as well. Here it is. The pagans, right? The non-believers, the ones who don't follow Jesus, they're seeking, out, they're seeking first money and possessions and stuff. And that's the thing they care about more than anything else. But Jesus is saying, my kingdom people, my way of doing things is totally different than the world. 
And people might think you're weird when you live the way he asks you to do. Why? Because it's so contrary to the way the world lives. But he's inviting you a different. Seek first my kingdom. What does it mean to be first? To seek first. It's not just an issue of order. It's an issue of priority. Okay? It's just like, seek first. The first one I seek is his kingdom. Then I seek all the other kingdoms. That's what it's like. I'm going to use my wife as an example. Of all of the women and the human on earth, Amber is the first. Okay? Now, that doesn't just mean, well, here's my first woman, and there's my second woman, and my third woman, and my... That's not what we're saying here. We all get that. She is first. That's not just an issue of order. It's an issue of priority. What it means is that she is first and my relation to every other woman on planet earth goes through the lens of the fact that she is first, okay? She's my priority. She's the one I choose to value. It impacts everything. And so when he says, seek first my kingdom, it isn't just order, it's priority. It means in everything, God, I prioritize. I seek your way of doing things, your rule, your reign in every area of my life. And in fact, when I go to any other circumstance in this world, I look it through the lens of his kingdom. See, that's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God in his Righteousness. He's inviting us to see things differently, every area of our life, through his lordship. And specifically in this passage, he's talking about our money and our possessions. Even when it comes to our finances, how do we relate to it? All right? And so if I was looking at this whole passage and I was forced to give you one word, just one word to understand the whole passage, the one word I would pick is this, trust. Trust. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? Or do you trust in the world, in the stuff, in the money? Is that where your hope is? I want to get to our big so what. If you're new around here, we always have a big so what. So what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else, you've been distracted, here's the big so what for the morning. Your money reveals trust. Okay? The whole passage is connected to the statement, you can't serve God and money. And hear this, we can say that we trust God with our lives. We can say we trust him with our relationships, with our future. We trust him for our salvation. But do we really trust him in everything? And when it comes to our finance, do we trust him with our finances? Do we trust him with our resources, with our wallets, with our purses? Do we trust him in that way? Do we trust him as our provider? Do we trust in his character as our source? Your money reveals trust. How you interact with your money, what you do with your money reveals trust. And I think maybe a better question for us is like, okay, well, what do I do with that, Greg? A better question might be this. How do we trust him as our source? And for that, uh, I take us to what scripture leads us to this critical principle known as the tithe. The tithe. Now, some of you have heard that phrase before and you're like, I don't really know what it means. Where does it come from? It's a biblical principle that's throughout all of scripture. Okay? But to understand tithe, you say, I've heard you say it, but what does it mean? A tithe literally means a tenth or 10%. That's what it literally means. And consistently throughout scripture, there is a challenge of returning the tithe to the Lord, which what does that mean? 
returning 10% of what you earn to the Lord. Saying, God, we give this to you. This is something Abraham did this before the law was given, throughout the law in the Old Testament. This is talked about. Jesus even affirms this whole concept in the New Testament. And so there's this challenge of giving 10% to the Lord. Now, some of you are like, whoa, Greg, that seems a little extreme. Say, so, yeah, it does. And that's what God has asked of us. And so in the most simplistic version, understanding the tithe is an act of submission and obedience to say, God... It doesn't matter whether I like this, I'm gonna choose obedience in an area that you've asked it of me. How many of you love forgiving the person who's hurt you? Not a lot of us. And yet we choose it, why? Because God has commanded, we don't get the choice in the matter. We must forgive those who hurt us. And in the same way, when you approach the tithe, there's this command that says, hey, we are gonna prioritize and build our lives and submit to God's ways and say, God, we will give you 10% of what we earn. And so if you stop there, it just is an act of submission. It's an act of obedience. But I wanna say this, the tithe is so much more than that. And that's what I wanna dig into. It says it this way in Proverbs chapter three, uh, verse nine. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's this principle that we see here and throughout scripture and it's this, that the first will bless the rest. The first will bless the rest. Over and over, there's a command to bring your first to the Lord. The first thing that you get, you see it throughout scripture, there's this broader principle of the first fruits, meaning when you have a, let's say you're a, uh, in, you've got a farm, you've got you know, a crop, a harvest, you bring the very first things that you harvest, you bring them to the Lord. Let's say you've got a herd of animals. The firstborns, you bring those to the Lord. You give that to the Lord. This is the command over and over and over again in scripture. And so the question is like, why is it so important that we would bring our first to the Lord? What's the point of that? Is it just an issue of order? And I would say more than that. It's two things. First off, it shows priority. When we bring the first to the Lord, it shows priority. Just like she is first in my life. I say, God, I bring you the first to show you are the one who is valuable. That word honor the Lord with the first fruit, that word honor means weightiness. It means you have value. You have a weightiness to you, God, and I choose to honor you with the first, the best that I have. You are more important than anything else. I give you the first. What does it say throughout scripture? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with everything, right? Love him with everything. It's this priority saying, God, you are most important. And so that's the challenge, this idea of giving your first, it shows priority. But the second reason that I believe giving the first matters so much, it shows trust. Shows trust. Why do I say that? Okay, you've got a field, you're going to harvest it. And you harvest the first portion, and then you give that as an offering to the Lord. You have no guarantee that you're going to get to harvest the rest of it. Because what could happen? Hailstorm could come through, destroy the rest of your field before you get a chance to harvest it all. But you gave the first to God, yeah. Why? Because you trust him. That's where your hope is at. It's not in your field. It's not in your ability to harvest, your ability to make money, do any of those things. No, your trust is in him. You have a herd and you, you offer the first born to the Lord. Why? Because you trust him. Because guess what? The rest of the herd could get sick and die. You say, God, my hope is not in my herd. My hope is in you. My trust is in you. That's why this matters so much. And 
So when we talk about this concept of the tithe, it isn't just giving any 10%, it's giving the first 10%. And I got a second big so what for you this morning. And the second big so what is this, tithing is trusting. If we wanna put our finances in a position where we truly are trusting him as our source, he's given us a tool to do that. It's through the tithe. To say, God, we trust you. And I wanna give you a little illustration here as, as we close this morning. I'm loaded up here. I got 10 $1 bills. Loaded up here. Look at all this money I got. I should have used bigger bills than this, but okay. So here's the way we ordinarily relate to our money, right? You get paid. Okay, cool. All right, first goes to the government. Yay. I don't know how much you have to give to the government. Everybody's a little different, right? Let's give some money to the government. And I guess for most of us, all right, next thing, all right, we got to live somewhere. So you're, you're paying your mortgage company. You might be paying your for rent, whatever it is. And like, it feels like half your money's gone by the time those things are taken care of, you know? And you still got to do stuff. Like I got kids, like they need to eat. It's super annoying. They need three meals a day. It drives me crazy. Like, could you guys stop eating? It would save me some money. So you got to pay for food and, you know, and like, and you got, you know, you got to, you got to clothe everybody. You know, you got to look good, right? You see that thing? Like I got, I got to have the stuff, you know, I got to, I got to look good. I at least cover myself and I appreciate that guys. Uh, you know, you got, you got bills to pay still. Right? You still got your cell phone. You still got to pay your, you know, utilities, all that kind of stuff. You got to do that. And, and then, and then for some of you, like, I, I still like to do fun things. Like, I, I want to have some fun or I want to take a vacation. I want to do those kind of things. And we keep giving and we, and we do that. And, we, and if we're lucky, we get to the end of the month and there might be a little something left over, right? And at that point, we have a choice. Either we're going to save it for ourselves or we're going to give it to the Lord. And for some of you, you say, all right, cool. I get to the end of the month, a little something for God. There you go, God. And that's great because when there's, there's a heart of thanksgiving, you say, God, thank you for what you've done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a little something extra. But I, that's a tip. That's not a tithe. Thanks, God. Here's a little tip for you. There's not a lot of trust involved in that decision, is there? See, the tithe is a completely different way of living. It says, when you get paid, first thing you do, God, I trust you. I trust you. My source is not my field. It's not my herds. It's not my bank account. My source is not my job. It's not my intellect. It's not my ability to figure out ways to make money. God, my trust is in you. I'm putting my whole, I am building and staking my life on you. I don't just talk about trusting you. Jesus, I trust you. And I'm praying that the first will bless the rest. I'm praying that God, as I prioritize you in your kingdom and I invest in you first, God, that you will provide every one of my needs according to your riches and glory. God, I'm not depending on me. It's all on you. You're my foundation. You're my rock in every way. And it may not make sense always. It doesn't always make sense. But God, I'm choosing to trust you even when it doesn't make sense. I'm choosing to believe in you even when it doesn't make sense. You see, we do this as a church. The money that comes in for tithes and offering, you know the very first thing we do? It's on a monthly basis. We support missionaries around the world. We give the first 10% out of these doors. Is it because we have to? No, we're a church. We don't have to. But you know what? We want to say, God, we trust you. Every one of us gives. I tell you all the time, the way that we do everything as a church, we do that through the things that we give. What I give, what you give, we all give. That's how we fund everything. But guess what? We are not our source. Who is? He is.
And we put ourselves in a position to say, God, we trust you in everything. And, and it sets us free. Even when it's hard, you know what we say? We're not changing that. We're gonna, we're gonna go down trusting Jesus. And I believe there's some of you in here that you're saying, I wanna grow my faith, God. I wanna get deeper. I wanna dig deeper. And he's saying, yeah, I want you to too. But the problem is you're living like this. You're living like this. And I'm not doing this because I care about the money because I don't really care about the money. What I care about is your heart. And if you would begin to put yourself in a position of dependence and trusting in me over and over, it would set you free. It would release some bondages that are holding on to you right now. This isn't about the money. It's not about the stupid money. It's about our hearts being in submission and saying, God, we truly trust you. And hear this, trust is not a thought. It's an action. That chair down there, I can tell you that I trust that it will hold me up. That's just a belief until I sit down. That's trust. And Jesus is saying, hey, would you trust me? Would you live differently? I'm gonna put you in a different, there's no guilt here. I'm inviting you into something better. Because what does he say? He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow reap or store away and yet your heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they right? why do you worry about your clothes see all the flowers of the field grow they don't labor and spin yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these if he takes care of the grass of the field you can be confident that he will take care of you will we step into a position that says God we don't just think about trusting you God we act like we trust you. I'm gonna invite us to have a time of response here this morning. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes across the room? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are a foundation that we can trust in. You are a rock that we can stand on. And whatever we face, whatever we even walked in the doors with this morning, you're wanting us to remember that you care about us intimately. You care for us intimately. You're inviting us into something better. And Lord, we might admit that there's a lot of times when it comes to our money and our stuff, God, we, we're still worrying about that stuff and we're not really caring about your kingdom. And financially, we're putting our hope in our own, our own kingdoms and not putting our hope in you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to reorient our lives, to actually live like we trust you, not just to say that we trust you. Thank you, Jesus. With every head bow and every eye closed, I just invite you right now to have the Holy, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your own heart. Say, God, are you calling me deeper to trust you at a deeper level than I am right now? Speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. every head bow and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I'm, I'm sensing God calling me into a deeper level of trust when it comes to my money and my stuff. If that's you, just as a moment of personal response, would you just lift a hand and just say, yeah, that's me. I want to respond with a deeper level of trust in my, in my money and my stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Say, God, yeah, I want to respond to you. Yeah, you can put your hand down. That's fine. It's just for you. Just say, God, yeah, I want to, I want to trust you at a deeper level. I want to live like I trust you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us, that this would be one of those words that we don't just think about, that we live out, Lord. 
So God, help us to live in a different way. God, not living out of worry and freaking out. Instead, putting ourselves in a posture of dependence on you. God, trusting in you, Jesus. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I want to give you, I want to give you two really quick challenges as we, as we close up the message portion here this morning. Real quick challenge. The first challenge is this. It's my favorite translation of Philippians 4, 6 is found in the message because it, it gives you an action step immediately. And it says this, shape your worries into prayers. For some of you, worry is a struggle. Worry does nothing because it, it's keeping it to yourself. <laughs> Prayer does something. You might as well give that thing you're worrying about to God and actually ask him to act on your behalf. And so an action step that you can take is when you have moments of worry, immediately say, shape that worry into a prayer. Does it solve it indefinitely? No. But the next time you worry, guess what you get to do? Shape that worry into prayer. And you're going to find yourself praying about the stuff rather than worrying about the stuff, which is actually a productive means of of living (laughs) rather than just holding on to it yourself, all right? And so that's a practical challenge for you. But the second challenge I want to give you is this, is to put God's kingdom first in your finances through tithing. Say, God, we're going to put you first through tithing. Now, here's the challenge, because there are some of you in the room that are like, this is the first time you've even heard about tithing. You're like, Greg, I literally don't know how that would be financially possible. I I literally, 10%, are you serious, Greg? That's like, how in the world? Okay, here's what I encourage people. Don't allow the the destination to stop you from starting the journey. Because some of you say, man, 10%, I can't do, so I'm going to do nothing. And here's my encouragement, is what if you would begin to pursue, pursue the tithing? And, and so what I, what I encourage people to, toward is um, proactive, consistent giving. If you've been a tipper in the past, begin proactive, consistent giving, meaning I'm going to be proactive, I'm going to do it intentionally, and I'm going to do it consistently. So the fir- every time I get paid, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to invest in God's kingdom, right? It might be 20 bucks to start. Okay, I'm going to give 20 bucks to the Lord. All right, great. Start the journey and watch God begin to shape your heart and bring provision in your life as you begin to prioritize the things that actually are eternal and that matter, all right? Don't allow the final destination to stop you. But I would equally say that there's some of you that have allowed tithing to be a limit to your generosity. Because you said, yep, I'm a tither. I tithe, awesome. Don't touch another dime, Jesus. (laughs) And I would say, what if God is calling you to greater levels of investment in the kingdom of God to make a greater difference in the world, all right?